Whether you're at a game table, in your comfiest chair reading a book, or listening at home, there's nothing like a great adventure story. But they don't happen by accident. Welcome to the joy of GMing, a special interview series on the craft of great gaming. There's just something magic about sitting down to a good table with great friends, isn't there? If you're a lifelong gamer or a newbie rolling up your first character sheet, if you're a DM or a GM or just can't get enough tabletop talk in your day, this is the show for you. Each episode will bring you amazing guest speakers to talk about writing games and running them, building fantastic worlds and compelling story arcs and oh-so-useful tricks of the trade. Hear some amazing stories, get inspired for your next game, and join us for an hour and a half or so of lively conversation. This sister series to Anywhere But Now, our Doctor Who actual play podcast, will be released between mods or episodes with our ongoing serialized show. We cover some making of and behind the scenes tidbits of our latest mod as well, so do stick around. I'm Casey Jones. Over the last dozen years, I've written and produced screenplays, children's animation for TV and film, graphic novels, stage plays, murder mysteries, and audio adventures. I've also been writing and running tabletop games for over 10 years. Join me as we dive deep into tabletop with experts in the field. Experts like our special guest today, Aaron Angelini. Hello. Did I get hello. that right? Hello. Yes, you did. I just realized sometimes I, I try and warn people about pronunciations and things before. I was like, oh, I forgot to send them. <laughs> like I forgot, a, to, a, I forgot to, to phonetically yeah, check it you, out first. You were absolutely perfect. I'm spot on. Yes. <laughs> Magnificent. They are a professional comic colorist for such productions as Critical Role, Justice League, and Doctor Who, and a Crit Awards nominated TTRPG illustrator. They're very well known for their fantasy character art, recently collected in a system agnostic deck of TTRPG characters entitled The Arcane Compendium. Listeners, I have been looking forward to this. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure being here. This is, this is very exciting. Happy to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure talking to you. You have worked on some truly incredible titles as a colorist, as an illustrator. And I have to say, your work in the Titan run of Doctor Who was especially, was especially stunning. I, I may be biased as a fan. Can you tell our listeners how you got started in illustration and coloring in the first place? Yes. So first of all, thank you very much for for your kind words. I appreciate that. Well, it, it's a it's a long journey. I have always been, <laughs> <laughs> as many of us who were that passionate about creative endeavors and things like that. I've always been mm -hmm. in love with drawing and sketching. And since I was a kid, I grew up in a very uh, creative family. Both my parents are creatives as well. My mother paints and my, my father uh, has done several types of miniature sculpting and painting and like ships and bottles and planes and trains and models and, and so forth. And I grew up in a house full of art books and comics. So it was nice. a very stimulating environment from that point of view. And even if uh, throughout my like my school career and education, I've always done studied languages. Uh, mm -hmm. But I've, I've always kept art as a big passion on the side. And mm -hmm. so I didn't think I would 
it would end up being my job, but then uh, it did through a series of very fun and happy coincidences. It often is the case. That, that, <laughs> is, that could not be more true. Yeah, coincidence and timing have yes. been such key factors in just being in the right place and the right time for the right opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a yeah, big passion on the side. I'd always, you know, draw during classes and draw at home. And it, it, funny enough, when I was younger, I was coloring was my favorite thing. I, I loved drawing more than coloring. Okay. But then throughout the, uh, like at the end of high school and towards the beginning of, of university, I started doing a few online commissions here and there at the good old DeviantArt when that was still a big nice. uh, point of reference for the art community. And then I met people and started collaborating with them, coloring their line art just for fun, just like, oh, mm -hmm. I like your drawing. Can I color it just because I like it? And that became... Uh, more and more things that I like doing and so there were more and more opportunities to do a few commissions here and there and then collaborate with people coloring their work and I started working in particular with a, uh, a friend a, he would draw but I wasn't too keen on coloring his stuff mm -hmm. and uh, I was very happy to color his stuff for him and we got a few little gigs here and there uh, coloring for TTRPG manuals we worked for Evil nice. Hat and also Green Ronin we did like a few sporadic works like here and there for them and then mm -hmm. we got offered a a small job for Titan Comics for a, like a short comic for Terminator uh, for a oh, wow. limited edition DVD release or something like that and after Very that nice. yeah it, that was that was a fun one it was my first like published story I had done a few coloring gigs but like a couple, literally a couple pages here literally a couple pages there to fill in for people who maybe were late mm. and couldn't finish their deadlines and then comic Titan Comics liked our work and they offered us uh, Warhammer 40k so that was my first long-term series it was 12 issues and after that uh, it was doctor who time <laughs> so and i haven't stopped wow. since <laughs> amazing amazing how did you how did you guys get the attention of titan comics was that did you have representation by that point was there someone over at titan that just clicked with your work so that was the the person that i was working with because he had already worked with them a couple mm. times and I think mm -hmm. a very talented comic artist and Inca I think he had met some of the editors at a convention and then they had kept in contact so everyone you know every once in a while he would reach out and send you stuff um, beautiful so yeah so I he had yeah he had done a small series for them and and I think probably a few months after he had finished that they offered him this Terminator uh, short story um, so that's how I got in contact with Titan for the first time. And then, yeah, and then after that, it was all, all me, all me. <laughs> it's just like, that they so cool. they like working with me and I like working with them. And so I did some uh, work on Shades of Magic with them and then uh, Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. So that, that was great. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, no, as an artist, as an independent artist, freelancing a good chunk of the time, maybe your experience has been similar because on the other side of the page, the writing side of the page, I have tried my absolute best to stick to the trifecta of traits of a freelancer, to be easy to work with, to hand in your work in on time, and for the work to be good. 
Yes. If you handle, if you manage two of those three facets, according to Neil Gaiman, you will find, you will keep working. But if you manage to do all three successfully and consistently, then the work you find will come back for more. And I have found that to be my experience. I hope you have found it as well. <laughs> I agree. It is the, probably the number one, uh, feedback or like tip that I give to people who ask me how do you make it into comics or how do you make it in you know being a freelance illustrator and that's the same thing that I tell you that there's three things you have to be good you have to be fast or you have to be nice you need to have at least two of those mm -hmm. if you don't you might have to try again <laughs> uh, and and try and you know it's it's uh, and I think that being nice is probably one of the most important of all and, and by being nice i mean just like being nice to work with not just mm -hmm. cutesy <laughs> and adorable yeah. it's just like make make sure that people know that working with you is a good experience and i i agree with you it works it works like a charm it's 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 a good policy to have try like strive mm -hmm. towards at least two possibly three because then people will be happy to work with you and i will keep coming so I confirm that I agree and confirm the theory. <laughs> the numbers have been verified. And when we say easy to work with, we don't mean like a pushover or just like, I brought cookies to the planning meeting. Although cookies are wonderful. They're a wonderful thing, not a wonderful thing to bring impromptu without warning. But by easy to work with, we're talking about someone who can roll with the notes who doesn't take it personally, who doesn't internalize, oh, they think I'm a bad artist, they think I'm a bad writer. No, they want the product, the project, the book, the comic, the illustrated masterpiece, they want it to be the best it can. And if they didn't wanna work with you, believe us, they wouldn't be working with you. But if you can say, oh yeah, sure, no, I can tweak that, or no, absolutely, those notes make a lot of sense, and then take them with a grain of salt and work on them and bring them back with what they asked for. That is what I mean when I say easy to work with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also like replying to emails, don't be, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if you're on a project, you're on a project. And even if sometimes I work with people who might not be the best at that, uh, it's not an excuse for me to not be available or communicative. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and as you were saying, it's not being a pushover. If you have needs, uh, express those needs politely, respectfully, have a conversation. But, you know, um, it's, it's an industry in which, unfortunately, there's still a lot of like very low rates and very rushed deadlines. Uh, mm -hmm. So talking about things is the best way to make sure that things run smoothly and making sure that like your editors, your publishers, your collaborators, your teammates are aware of what you need and preferably at the start of the project and on halfway through. And just it's just easier for everyone if people on the team are aware of what's happening. And if you have mm -hmm. maybe, oh, today this happened, I'm not feeling great. So a couple of days, I need a couple of days off or like, please, I need this reference and it's this other thing. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's, it's teamwork. It's very much, even in freelancing, but especially like when it's about comics and even TTRPGs mm -hmm. a lot, like if, in any stage of creation, when you are not just yourself, anytime you're working with someone else, it has to be a shared experience because that's the way that the burden is going to be less heavy on your shoulders and on everyone else's mm -hmm. shoulders. I could not agree more. That was beautifully put, Aaron. Thank you. 
We talk a lot on Anywhere But Now and also on this show about collaborative storytelling. And granted, at a tabletop, it is going to be largely verbal with visual aids and characters that the players are providing. But through personal experience, I can say that writing a comic or a graphic novel and producing it with a team is also collaborative storytelling. And just like you're saying, it requires listening. It requires feedback from the different people involved as you go and as it unfolds. And speaking from experience, having seen something go from an idea to a script, to rough pencils, to inked pencils, to colored pages, it feels like something is coming to life, you know? I agree, absolutely. And that only happens with communication because there's a reason they're called pencils and not first draft or perfect pages. <laughs> like if cost, if the costume doesn't, doesn't quite sing for you or the perspective is a little wonky or sometimes the, even the body proportions of a character, like, yeah, no, that doesn't, that doesn't quite ring for me. Can we, can we adjust that for that character? And being part of a project like that means you get to say those things. And I think it's fair to say that there's like a hierarchy and a chain of command and all that, but anyone in that group has the right and the ability to say, can I get some additional notes? Can I get some additional details here? Do you have specifics? Like, is there a certain tint of the color that's not working for you? And if so, why? Collaboration, working together on a piece is like putting a symphony together one musical group at a time you start with the brass and then the percussion comes in and then the strings start getting involved and the reeds fill in the back and it's just oh, it's wonderful stuff yeah definitely it's and it's a i'm a big advocate of being very vocal about things and it's why generally like at the beginning of a project i'm gonna try and like this doesn't happen often in comics especially when you're working mm -hmm. on monthly comics sometimes like you don't get the whole team on the in the in an email group and but i always mm -hmm. try and see if i'm not in contact with either the writer or the penciler i will try and ask the editor if if the other people on the group have any requests so like for style or like like i recently colored a a batman story uh, well, it was not not necessarily about my story, the DC story, and the, the penciler wanted kind of like a Batman cartoon vibe with the red sky mm -hmm. and the blues and the things like that. And so that mm -hmm. was very interesting for me because if he hadn't told me, oh, I want it to, to look like like Gotham in the Batman cartoon, I would have never probably gone for that look. But mm -hmm. having that information from the beginning made sure that I could deliver my vision and his vision together at the first try and not having to, you know, color three pages and then go, oh, but, you know, actually, I wanted this to look the other way. And then, it, you know, that's hours of my work that go out the window. <laughs> it's not the best, yeah. especially, again, no. when there's deadlines and things and stuff needs to be finished by a certain date and all of that. So mm -hmm. absolutely agree. Being able to ask specifically for what you want with an artistic team, like saying, I want the color palette from Batman the Animated Series, or I want this to look like an Alex Ross painting, or I'm going for something really crisp and vibrant and sharp that doesn't look like Frank Miller tried to get the coloring done. 
by asking for what you want from a team that has agreed to work with you, you can get the kind of enthusiastic, energetic cooperation from your team, even if, as you say, not all the pieces are connected to each other, that you may not have any interactions as the colorist with the penciler, and that's fine. You know, because those pieces are separated by a step, which is the inking, which may or may not be taken over by a third party or a fourth. I did want to ask you, Aaron, what has it been like for you personally working on some of the biggest names in tabletop and sci-fi comics? Because you've worked on Warhammer, you've worked on Critical Role, you've worked on DC Pride and a personal favorite of mine, Doctor Who. What has that been like for you? What has it felt like to, to be providing such vibrant color to such recognizable name entities that are like, you know, part of the fictional tapestry? It's it's exciting. I'm not gonna hide that. Every time that I get an opportunity to work on any of these titles and like new titles, it's always Oh wow, <laughs> I get to do this. This is my job. Uh, it's it's a great feeling. I remember when the yeah when the first uh, Warhammer uh, thing came up, and I in my um, high school university years I've played Warhammer. I was very familiar with it. Like it was a it was a very big thing. It's like wow, okay, this is not only my first series, actual series, but it's a, a Warhammer one. And of course, there's, there's always on the other side, whatever you're working with, when there is a big IP in the middle, there's always kind of like, oh, there's mm. fans that are very vocal or like things that are very strictly canon and things that are strictly not canon. And like, uh, it's a big responsibility to, to be the one bringing some of those stories and some of those characters to life. But it's always been... Uh, uh, an extremely positive and exciting experience. Some of these things, I like working with DC has been an unexpected surprise. I've always in the in the world of comics, you you know, it's very often that you hear someone who wants to work in comics and they want to work with a big two. You know, that's kind of like, oh, I, mm. I want to draw Thor. I want to do Iron Man. I want to do Catwoman. There is always kind of like you go into comics and the biggest goal is always working with Marvel and DC. But like when you get into it, the brass ring. <laughs> when you get into it, you also discover a lot of other realities and like either universes and galaxies that are also extremely exciting. Like there is not just the Avengers. There is a lot more. But I remember when I was when I was getting into comics and I've been doing this more or less about seven years now professionally okay. and i remember it was kind of like a lot of talk of like you could go to conventions and marvel editors were at the well u.s conventions very rarely in europe but mostly if you went to new york comic-con or san diego or other conventions in the u.s you could talk mm -hmm. to an actual marvel editor who existed as a real person and you could have feedback and yet you know, there was this idea this dream that like you can you can get into there because there was a person somewhere who was available to talk to you but there's no dc editors at conventions dc doesn't do hmm. portfolio reviews or like things like that at conventions so i always had this idea that to work at dc i first had to work at marvel or <laughs> kind of like the well because you get into dc if you're invited because you're you're a big name like you're someone or you know it's 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 very much like that. You need to be extremely famous and then you get to work with DC. 
And what actually happened mm. was that I uh, threw, again, happy coincidences, crazy random coincidences. I worked with some people that I met through DeviantArt who were looking for a colorist for a project. And I had submitted my work that was very early in my colorist days. And they did not choose me for that project. But then like literally a year later, they reach out to me again and they say, hey, that was not the fit for that one. But we have a new project mm -hmm. and we think your stuff might be good for that. And I did some tests for them and it turned out to be great. And the penciler for this project is Chad Harding, who has worked for DC on a number of things. And and nice. so I did a little, it was an indie comic that I worked with them on for a couple of years. We did, well, two or three years, we did a couple of issues mm -hmm. at the slower pace because, of course, indie comics happen mostly when people have the time and the energies and the finances to invest into making them which is not all the time unfortunately and uh, but then one day i got an email from a dc editor saying hi uh you know chad hardin says he likes your colors and we need a colorist for a, a thing with him uh, on this dc thing uh are you in and i was just like i think i read that email probably 55 times in like a minute and a half which is like <laughs> wait that's it. Really, say I'm DC. Sorry, I'm sorry. I, DC, uh, DC wants that one, me. That that there must be another DC. DC detective <laughs> comics, not yeah, derivative not, comics. Not like definitely not DC. those comics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so that was kind of like okay. Uh, so I'm doing that, and that was a um, for an anthology. It was a short. It was the uh, my very first DC thing was um, on Harley Quinn, um, black and white and red, uh, which is. Congratulations. It was great fun. And it was, again, another kind of like full circle moment because Harley Quinn comics were some of the very first American comics that I bought as a kid at conventions. So oh, it was just nice. like, wow, not only I'm starting to work with DC, but I'm starting with like the very first DC thing, DC thing that I bought when I was a kid. And that that has it to was good. it was that amazing. It was incredible. So and I again, that was like, OK, well, I've done this thing, but if it's, you know, it's definitely just going to be this thing that I was lucky this time because they it's probably the didn't have anyone I can't else make to call. A out of this. And then <laughs> the same team. Uh, so again, with Chad and uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Pognotti, uh, we worked on another DC short for the Super Pets, which was ridiculously fun. And yeah, and after that, awesome. kind of like more uh, more work keeps kept coming in. I've done uh, Justice League with Chip Sarsky. Uh, which was again another uh, incredible thing. I had worked with Chip uh, before because I've, we've done some work on his uh, Sex Criminals series for Image, mm -hmm. which again, when you get an email saying, hi, do you want to work in Sex Criminals? <laughs> it's like, wait, this, again, comic, this might, might be like a An actual thing, thing that we that love. I've never heard about. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's, it's incredible when you get an email from an editor saying, hi, and it's not just, hi, I'm publisher X and I want to work with you. That's already great. But like when an editor reaches out and says, hi, Chad Hardin says, they, you know, we should have you on this project. Or like Chip Sarsky wants to have you on this project. Or like Rachel Stott has, is the penciler on this thing and, and she wants you to color her stuff. And it's just, it shows how much, going back to what we were saying before about like being nice and like being a, a good team member, how like, even if you work with someone once, it's not like I had had like mm -hmm. many, many years of working with Chip Zarsky or Rachel Stott. Like we had worked together mm -hmm. for some time. We had done shorter or longer things. But 
when that people the people that you've worked with have an like this imprint of you like oh that person i liked working with them so next time someone uh mm -hmm. asks me because that often happens uh, you know a writer or a penciler is often asked you know who should we have on the project on this who do you know sometimes the publisher has their own you know list of people they go, go through and like choose depending on what the style needed what the the tone the atmosphere the vibe of the comic or the the, the illustration the book whatever it is is valuable throughout the industries not just comics but it's it's just very oh, rewarding yes. when someone that you not only admire but like enjoy working with turns to someone else and said hey that person and i've worked with last year it was really cool i'd like to work with them again so yeah it's it's been not it was not just the joy of working on such incredible and well-known and loved titles but also like doing that with a team of people that i knew valued my work and like required my skill set because they knew that it was the thing that was correct for that project is absolutely it's it's still it still surprises me every time in the best way it's a pleasant yeah, surprise isn't it it's, especially because i mean oh, i'm sure man. you know and many of the creatives who listen uh to these <laughs> interviews and these chats no you know there is always oh i'm not good enough or like ah oh, no but i you know i'm sure there's someone that's better for me that than me on this and like there will you know I, this will never happen for me and stuff like that so when you have that kind of like kick of no no you can wouldn't I you like to prove that exactly. voice wrong and though? it's just like you know yeah you you know a thing or two about this and people recognize yeah. that so it's it feels it feels great mm, it does feel great but you have to work your ass off to get to to the part where it feels great like i will remember for the rest of my days how nerve-wracking it was the first time i stepped into new york comic-con with packets submission packets ready to just hand over in my nice little manila envelopes of a graphic novel i was trying to get published as the writer and I had assembled a team that I had found on DeviantArt or digital webbing. The penciling and the coloring and the even the captions had I'd taken care of all of those and spent a small fortune on uh, just getting a dozen pages, half of the first issue together so that, you know, when I hand it over and it goes on the pile of things they'll look on later, if they get around to it and saying, here's my book, here's what it's going for, here's the vibe, here's everything else. And just that over and yes, over and over tough. and over again. And you need to follow the rules. Like if there's a big sign on the table that says no submissions, then you don't, you are not the ones like, well, I'm gonna prove them wrong. I'm gonna break through. I'm gonna be the one that makes a makes an impression by doing what they asked me not to. Yeah, that's don't exactly that. the that's don't, the short way to that. not being nice and not being, as we were saying, in the trifecta of like the good things that you should do. Be nice and respectful of people's uh, boundaries in all ways and shapes and forms when it comes to work. So if it's not at this time, it's not at this time, and I'm sorry, maybe there will be mm -hmm. another chance. And if not, you'll have to make the chance happen at another moment. <laughs> But I, I perfectly understand yeah. it's 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 difficult. Rejection is a very it's a very true and concrete thing that happens in the in, in 
creative industries mm -hmm. and it's something that we all uh, need to learn to deal with and as you were saying also like not take it personally mm -hmm. doesn't mean that uh, you'll never do it. it doesn't mean that you're bad doesn't mean that you are you no. know that there's no chance for you it's just it's just unfortunately part of the job and uh, the point yeah. is making sure that it happens less and less and the only way of doing that is just by getting rejected a lot of times uh, you know there is the mm -hmm. the occasional story of the person who gets it the first time but that's not the standard unfortunately as you were saying you have to work hard it's it's really tough and it's very competitive there's a lot of yeah. people there's a lot of you know it's a big market but it's also a very small market at the same time because there's uh, you know a certain mm -hmm. amount of things that you can do and a certain amount of people that you can reach out to and and especially when you're not in the, situ in the situation of being able maybe to go to a lot of conventions especially if you're not US based like me and it's just like I remember the first time that I went to New York Comic Con was uh, 2016 which is the year in which Warhammer came out because mm -hmm. it came out for New York Comic Con so I was at New York Comic Con nice. as a as a professional I was not a guest but I was a, a professional at New York Comic Con so I, I had my comic artist mm -hmm. pass because I was registered as, a, as a, a pro for that. I gave a panel because uh, we talked mm -hmm. about Warhammer and the comic at the Euro Comic on stage, which was <laughs> it was a big, mm. <laughs> big thing to do. And but yeah, and I, I remember going around just like you said through the artist alley with my portfolios and going to artists to get reviews and then going to the uh, publishers and editors and and just you know my big pile of, of of portfolios and just giving one 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 here one there one it's just and it's mm -hmm. it's casting yeah seeds sometimes out there's a, a lovely person who says thank you very much we'll be in touch you oh, what what cool stuff you have and another time there is someone who is there and is overworked and you know Great, they've thanks. been there already for three days and they're a bit bored and tired and they just say yeah sure put it in the pile and the pile is high and you just have to put it on the pile mm -hmm. and maybe who knows but if not it's just you have to just do it i remember when i if, if it's, it's a very different experience from conventions at least in italy where i grew up and most of Europe as well there's kind of like a very different you don't you, you go to the con to the comic convention to meet the author and it's just like this there is this big uh expectation of like this kind of like holy figure who sits at their table and they're like you know signing your book we don't have as many <laughs> I think now it's slightly shifting with that, like all the comic con this and comic on that variations but in Italy it was very much like I grew up in the idea that you go there and there's this figure that shines at the end of the hall Ooh. and you queue for 45 minutes and you give them your book and you cry for a second and they sign in and then you go away and that was it and it's just like you lived for that very short uh, blessing and then you bring your holy relic at home and you keep mm. it forever but and and then your comic con was completely different it's just like when the artist alley is huge and there's all these huge names that i've grown up reading oh that mm. i admire so much and i remember i went to um terry dodson who by the way had drawn the harley queen comic so i remember going to mm -hmm. yes and i went Love to him Dodson's and he was work. lovely he was delightful i was looking at his prints and his stuff and he saw that i had a uh, like my like a 
a, a folder under my arm and it was just like are you an artist as well and i was just like no no sir no i'm not i'm not, I'm not. please don't <laughs> i'm not worthy of your attention so <laughs> like, yes i'm a colorist like, show me your stuff <laughs> i'm just like oh my god terry dodson is looking at my work and it's just yes. it's so it's actually very welcoming and very it's a very welcoming very open community from that side like they we all know that we've struggled and it so we be. understand really that you know and there's always this kind of like exciting thing i think as well when you're a professional that you might be talking to someone who has real skills and like maybe the the next big thing so like everyone is kind of very excited of seeing what the other people are creating and see what what they have in store and like who mm. could this be a new collaborator because this be um just someone who's um, who i'm very excited to see debut and and be successful in a couple of years and so yeah that was uh it was a, the, yeah. a big shock in the best of ways <laughs> that's so wonderful to hear i want to circle back around to how you got started doing independent projects collaborating with people that you could reach and connect with on the the amateur level back then. Obviously, you've come a long way since then. But like in terms for our listeners of the whole freelancing vibe of the experience that can happen, like there are a couple of things that I think aspiring artists and aspiring freelancers, whether or not illustration is their area of focus, I think there are some good takeaways here. Because while in any freelancing artistic industry, there are going to be the brass rings, they're going to be the top two or three, like, oh, I want to work for Image, I want to work for DC, I want to work for Marvel, I want to work for Titan. Those opportunities will likely not present themselves at the beginning of a career. But by doing the work you can find, by starting with the work you can find and building a portfolio of a body of work so that when the time comes and you do fall on the notice of someone like Terry Dodson walking through and you have under your arm your own dossier of like, oh, well, yes, I do have my coloring work here, uh, <laughs> then that can, that can click into place. But also just the strangeness and the unpredictability of the timing of it. One of the first voice acting jobs I ever had when I was just starting out led almost six months to a year later of more work with the same team simply because another project had rolled around and I was the only person they knew and they had enjoyed working with me the first time so they just went right back to the same source and that is exactly how it can happen sometimes you make a good impression you get lucky sometimes also is let's be honest sometimes it is luck <laughs> absolutely like it's a big factor it yeah. is but with things in the creative side of the industry any industry like part of it is i'm not just doing this so that there will be a painting on a wall later or a comic on a shelf. I'm doing this because it feeds me, because I enjoy it, because I draw fulfillment from it. And if I'm gonna be doing this, I wanna enjoy it. And if I'm gonna be doing this, I wanna enjoy the people I'm working with so that the people that do complain when they get notes and like, oh, fine, I'll do rewrites again, or like, ugh. I have to repencil that bicep for the third time. Fine. Well, maybe if I'd gotten it right the first time, they wouldn't have asked the second time. And like that kind of energy can really come through, you know, in the passive aggressive little notes you get back from people. It's like, <laughs> fine. Hope you like it this time. You know, 
garbage like that. But being easy to work with and being open to opportunities can surprise you because the more that you do that, the more that you put your work out there, even in small places at first or lower levels of professionalism, because I mean, anyone could get a, I had a deviant art page back in the day and I used half of it for just motivational, demotivational movie posters because that was the thing 15 uh, uh, yes. years ago. Good old deviant art. Um, good old deviant art, but it is a good place to, to find artists, especially if you're looking to collaborate with people on different levels. So I did want to ask you, like, I have also really enjoyed seeing the monsters and the character portraits that you've been putting together for your own work. Aaron, I wanted to ask you, where do you find your inspiration for creating monsters and other fantastic creatures? Can you tell our listeners what your creative process is like? Yes, of course. So... A couple of years ago, when we were all locked in our houses and we couldn't go outside, and something very difficult mm. happened, uh, which was uh, as someone who worked for, uh, mainly as a comic colorist, like 90% of my work came from, from that, comics distribution was halted because of uh, distribution issues, mm. because there was a, a lack of paper, like like literally i know this sounds very funny to some people but there was no paper on which to bring comics and <laughs> and that was of course a big issue and then of course there was all the problems with uh you know coronavirus and 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 and, and sickness and this and that so for a few months the comic industry came to a halt or a semi-hiatus uh, and so some of my work just paused some of my work got delayed and i had like kind of like many of us i had to come up with something else that i wanted to do or that i could do to kind of like keep myself occupied while i was still, was still doing likely for doc we hadn't stopped working on doctor who we did something that i really appreciated and we kept on going so that when distribution started again we would not be doing things months by month but we would have kind of like three or four com like three or four mm -hmm. uh comics ahead basically so if number 10 was coming out we were working Smart. on number 14 so at least that and that i was so appreciative of that because that's not Smart. something that happens a lot in comics so that I was working on that but i had more time and i was like what's this thing that i really like i really like character design i really like fantasy characters i i like ttrpgs and things like that and so i started working on not only on character commissions for people who wanted to have their wonderful D&D or Pathfinder characters drawn, which was great fun for me. But I also launched um, a Patreon, mm. which for those who are not very familiar, is a subscription. Nice. Uh, a subscription, just like you're subscribed to Netflix. You can go on Patreon and maybe your favorite artists or singers or people, maybe podcasters have their own little Patreon that you can subscribe to and basically you get uh, like either to see their work mm -hmm. in advance or in exclusive ahead of time for a few dollars at the month depending on what your rewards are mm -hmm. and so I thought you know it'd be cool to have my own little thing in which I publish character portraits that people can use in their games because that's a thing that I know is a very difficult topic. A lot of people like great art, but also the people who make the great art like being paid for it <laughs> and because that's their livelihood. 
we do need to eat. Yeah, and not always the, the great art is affordable because it takes time to create and we do need to eat, like you, you just said very correctly. So I thought it would be nice to have like something that uh, allows me to experiment and like cre be creative and at the same time gives people an affordable resource. Mm -hmm. And so I started my Art Venturing Guild, which is my Patreon, which is still going strong after uh, more than two years and a half. And yes, and every month I create 10 characters, 10 portraits. So it's just kind of like shoulders up of characters. And at the beginning, when mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of members, it was very much like up to me and what like uh, every month I would choose a, t a theme or I like, would have people that are my subscribers vote for a theme that they like. And so, and then we would come up together with some ideas. And in some cases, maybe I had two or three people suggest something in other cases, like especially was as time went by and more and more people chimed in i would have more than enough because mm -hmm. maybe i would have like 30 suggestions and i only have 10 slots so i would have to pick and maybe mix some of those and so we've done all kinds of things with this month we're doing undead and then like in the past we've done like the crime syndicates we've done bird folk mm -hmm. yeah we've done yeah we've done household staff. staff we've done elves we've done dwarves like we've done like the most kind of like classical yes exactly warriors at sea yeah and it's, it's really great fun and, and so yeah. some of those ideas come from my my patrons my subscribers who give me i basically i tell them to give me mm -hmm like a short sentence, like a, a one or two sentences. So it could be, you know, a grumpy nice. old dwarf that is an engineer and his beard is full of clogs and mechanical bakes. Uh, uh, or it could be something like, oh, I would really like to see uh, maybe a prophet uh, that like in the only wears white or like stuff like that. And then so sometimes it's a bit more descriptive sometimes it's a bit more of a feeling and a vibe and so i take those ideas and i mix them with mm -hmm. maybe other concepts that are similar that have been suggested and like mash together very well or like get a bit from one or the other and then i put into that my own interpretation and like the stuff that i maybe when reading their prompt something sparks in my head it's like oh it'd be interesting to take this in this other direction or like oh this month i really feel like drawing this thing so i can mix it with this idea from one of the people uh, that have suggested stuff and it's it's very fun because at the end of the month uh well at the beginning of the month when i sent the when i published the new portraits there is always uh one of the my favorite type of comments is when people say oh my gosh you took my idea and you turned this into something like that i was not expecting even if the idea often seems seems like straightforward there is always this it's always so fun seeing mm -hmm. how everyone actually sees it in a very different way and so yeah it's it's a mix of yeah. what's in my mind what inspires me what i see ar like around me what be it actual in the real world or like in like through online stuff or like my art books and my reference books and the mix of like what my uh, supporters would like to see and their creative vision. So it's uh, again, another form of team working collaboration that is just delightful. I really enjoy it. Outstanding. Yeah, I was looking forward to talking with you about making up monsters because obviously some of our listeners are making up their own monsters at home, whether it's for the joy of illustration, whether it's to put your own reskin of an existing monster on your table for D&D. &D. 
things like that. But I wanted to talk with you about just the creation of the monsters and to go back to what you said about latching on to just one detail or one note from the person that was asking for it or your own feelings of inspiration. Well, this week I want to draw sea monsters. Using those details to synthesize a creature is so fun, is so satisfying to take just ingredients of elements of things, especially because they're monsters, they're made up. They are not creeping down the halls with each splorching step. <laughs> Although that's fun too. Uh, <laughs> but, oh man, yeah, I've, I've looked through a good chunk of the Art Venturing Guild work that you've done the samples that I could see on your website and rest assured listeners, uh, you will be able to see links to Aaron's gorgeous work in the details, AKA the doobly-doo. But yeah, making up a character. When I was working on my first graphic novel, I took a lot of inspiration from the Venture Brothers, not for tone, but for how creative they were with coming up with their characters. They had mashed up these seemingly incongruous characters from the Johnny Quest era of adventure fantasy, from comic books, from Saturday morning cartoons, and sometimes just mashed them together. Elements that wouldn't necessarily, you would think, work for a character, and some of them were just one-offs, and that's fine. But coming up with villains for this group I called the Order of Despots and working with an illustrator of like, okay, for the ground troops, we want, you know, Stormtrooper-esque with the German commando helmets minus the spike on top and a big, nice number on their chest so that they never forget their henchmen. Uh, <laughs> give us a faceless army, a platoon of these guys that we can just smack around and not feel bad about so that they're the first line of defense before we get to the order of despots who have filled a room modeled off of, I shit you not, Dr. Evil's moon base <laughs> from the second Austin Powers film, right down to the spiky spikes jutting out of the walls and this big geodesic dome of the, cause they were on of the course. moon because you have to put them on the moon. And the Pantheon, our Justice League, our five-man band of heroes with, you know, the classic powers show up to the moon and beat six kinds of unholy hell out of the Order of Despots. But there was a guy with a Destro mask from G.I. Joe as part of his makeup and a big giant arm cannon and another character, uh, IQ, who just had a head as long as, as long and tall as the leader's noggin, the famous uh, Hulk villain, one of my absolute favorites, and just mixing all these pieces together into something like, it was just a feast, a feast for the eyes. And sometimes that's all you need for a monster, you know? That core idea, some tactile texture. Give it some texture like, oh, this creature has scales, or oh, this creature is in plate armor, or oh, this creature is covered with its own ooze, <laughs> yep. you know? <laughs> and being able to put all these things together into something like, yeah, this is mine. My name is on this. I think this is cool. Here it is for public consumption. Bon appetit. And to hear you talk about putting these characters together and listening 
to your audience. That's the wonderful thing about uh, having a Patreon. I don't speak from experience myself yet, but everything I've perceived, like the people that like you are smart about putting together a Patreon means you're listening to your audience, you're connecting with them, and again, collaborating with them. Like, what kind of monsters do you want to see this month? What interests you? What tables are you trying to fill with these characters? I'm going to make it that much easier for you because you know what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And it, it's, 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 yeah, it's a joy. And it's, I think that uh, it's the, one of the very true strengths of TTRPG is like that sense of community that the community has. And it's just mm. like a, a, I just thought, why not, why not make it one of my strengths in the creation process like there are so many people who are passionate and interested and creative and maybe don't have the means maybe they just don't you know drawing is not their thing maybe they're writers maybe they're singers maybe they're something else or maybe it's just mm -hmm. they don't think that they can bring something to the table when it comes to creating art or like stories and things like that but you know if you're if you're playing D&D you are creative there is mm -hmm. no way that someone who's not playing any sorts of TTRPG is not creative you know you might not think that you're creative in the traditional sense of like ah I shall draw a portrait of this beautiful lady or like this this incredible painting of the sunset like that that that's not the only way of being creative but like oh I will shoot the movie and I will be the most known black and white you know French director in, in the universe if that's not the only way of being creative and and it's just like mixing my voice with their with with theirs it's just it's just incredibly fun it really is it is incredibly fun to find creative harmony um with the right team and i would encourage our listeners to keep trying new things there's there are wonderful videos out there on the interwebs about how in addition to the we won't call it a fact, but the statistic that it takes roughly 10,000 hours to gain 10,000 hours of practice to gain mastery of a thing. You are hopefully going to be alive, listener, longer than it takes to acquire mastery over one skill. Your life is going to be filled with chapters anywhere from seven to 10 years long that gives you multiple opportunities to get good at multiple things so that you can continue to expand your repertoire instead of drilling down into just one school of art or one school of what you perceive as creativity. Because if there's one thing creatives are good at, it's putting limits on themselves. They don't have to put <laughs> limits on. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, you know, you don't have to be a master to, to be skilled or to enjoy something. Like, just allow mm. yourself to, you know, do you want to do some painting? Do you want to do some knitting? Do you want to do some photography? You don't have to, you know, be the best new name in the most famous gallery in New York City in five months to no. do that. You just, is it enjoyable? Do you find mm -hmm. satisfaction, meditation, fulfillment, whatever is the thing that sparks that joy, that, that passion, that interest in you? If that's if you get that, you're doing it. <laughs> you don't have to be the best uh, and at any point, and you definitely don't have to be the best when you start and you're learning and you're enjoying it. If you're enjoying it, you're doing the thing. Absolutely. And 
to circle back around to the freelancing aspect of it in terms of where and when in your story you meet someone that you eventually want to work with again, our theme song was composed by a lovely human named RJ Percinello, who I had the pleasure of working with. I was a voice actor some 15 plus years ago working on a cartoon for Discovery Kids called Pendemonium. And got to talk like a little purple marker and a couple other characters right in this register. <laughs> and fast forward 15 years, and I've worked with some other people in the industry and back and forth and whatnot, and came around to, yeah, I'd like to start producing my own audio. I'd like to start putting my own things out there. Who do I know in sound design? Who do I know in music? And the first person I thought of, well, who did sound design? Who did mu the music on that cartoon I did ages and ages and ages ago? Fast forward to 2022, I'm in Los Angeles. RJ is in Los Angeles. He's working full time as a composer. And I reach out to him and was like, hi, we haven't spoken in at least 10 years. I hope you have fond memories of me. <laughs> I love your work. Would you be interested in collaborating, etc." And that's how we got to uh, eventually merging the themes of pomp and circumstance and the classic Doctor Who theme into something that is hopefully distinctly ours. And it's not necessarily, oh, it's the greatest piece of music ever committed to audio. It's ours. It's great, though. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And to go one step further, like to tie in the Patreon aspect of it, I, as a gamer, as someone who runs games as a GM, I love making these things immersive as possible with sound, with visual aids. It's as, is, for me, it is as important and crucial as the color on the comic page. You know, it gives it life, it gives it texture, it gives it vibrancy. And the musician, uh, his first name is Tim. He produces tabletop audio. We are a patron of his on his Patreon and get to use his wonderful library of background mood music across hundreds of soundscapes. Like, oh, this is the chase through the dark tunnel. Oh, this is creeping across, creaking across the rope bridge. Oh, you've discovered a ghost town. Oh, you're on a looming hulk that's just decaying orbit over a gas giant. All these wonderful, different musical voices and tones. And because I've been familiar with his work for about two to three years now, I, it was the easiest thing in the world to just reach out to him and say, hi, I'm one of your patrons. I love your work. How would you feel if we did, if we used your royalty-free music on our show? And he said, that'd be great. Just make sure to, to credit me. And we've been doing that. <laughs> and the point of that is that it is my sincere hope that as your Patreon patrons continue to grow in number and you continue to build this, call it relationship with them. Like, you know, there's, there's expectations that are met every month by you creating the artwork that they are looking forward to enjoying. And those kinds of meeting those kinds of expectations on a regular basis is part of what being a working creative being a working artist is is all about absolutely absolutely and it's 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 i think it's it's a difficult step to take it's not everyone can 
can do it. Not everyone has the energies and resources, and like especially, you know. But it's 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 a it's a big joy, and it's freelancing is very hard, and it's very daunting for a lot of people. But it's I think mm -hmm. for me, it's not for everyone, and it doesn't have to be for everyone. But yeah, there is that relationship that you build with people, and like that that just pleasure on like knowing that people appreciate your work, and also joy in like making my own work available to the people who need it and will mm -hmm. enjoy it and i just like the the musician that you were saying like i people who are subscribed to my patreon can use the you know, the art in their games and it's so fun when every once in a while one of them tells me uh, oh i've used the this character for this thing and i've used this other character for that thing and I've even seen one of the characters was used uh, as like a big NPC in someone's campaign to the point that they commissioned uh, an artist to draw because mine are just portraits. And so like mm -hmm. this NPC became so important in this GM's campaign that they commissioned someone for like their version of the that NPC in their in their campaign and it was just so exciting to see that not all, only that character was so important in someone's story but that like to the point of them wanting to bring it to life in their version and in their vision and it was just it was just incredible and now I've just uh, I've taken the next step so I've just finished a crowdfunding to make a deck so a physical deck of cards with these characters Ooh. and I've done it on on Backerkit which is the kind of like a, a Kickstarter like platform for those who are not too much savvy when it comes to crowdfunding but yeah it's it's we it, all have the skills we have <laughs> absolutely no but for me as well it's it's a big learning it's a learning curve and so I've, I've done a crowdfunding and so I'm it's been successfully funded it's great we're in the like lead ple late pledges uh, state so people who missed the campaign can still snag a, mm -hmm. a copy of the deck and it's yeah it's a full deck of 165 of these characters that i've created throughout the years with some new ones and there is there are two two-sided cards on one side there is a portrait and nothing else uh so mm -hmm. you the idea is that like a dm can tell you you are interacting with this person and showing you the face but not giving you any of the details that they don't want to actively share with you and then on the back there's their name their job title and it's uh, and then some plot hooks about like their personality their quirks their flaws and it's oh, all wonderful. system agnostic because i mm -hmm. i wanted to make sure that people who play different games could just access it and play in like whatever you know just because a character has pointy ears doesn't mean that they're necessarily an elf like maybe in the world everyone they could has. be an alien they could be a species exactly. of pointy-eared yeah maybe they everyone has got pointy ears in, in their universe or maybe uh, you know the fact that they are blue-skinned they could be a siren they could be a genasi they could be a, a you know a genie whatever you want them to be i don't i don't want to put that limit uh on on their creativity so i it's 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 been a joy and for that as well like there's been i've been chatting with the people who are involved in the project and like the backers mm -hmm. and they can give me feedback and so we are creating a few new characters for that as well and it's it's a joy to see also people interact with each other and and say maybe someone has an idea and people say oh my gosh i love this idea i would love to see this and maybe let's add this on top and like people build it on top of each other is uh, that's it's just it's just wonderful Sounds wonderful. Would this happen to be your arcane compendium yes. that you're describing in yes. such lovely detail? It is. It is my arcane compendium. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. That's just fantastic. I think you've hit on something that our listeners who are aspiring artists and working artists may not have latched onto yet, is the longer you do the thing that you that you take a passion for, the more good work you start to build a library of. Because it is through the fact that you have put 10 of these inspired characters together every month, over and over and over and over again, that you now have dozens of these characters that you can make an entire deck from. And they are your property. They are your characters that you can use in the future. And I absolutely love the idea of system agnostic plug and play characters, because honestly, as a storyteller, sometimes just the right look of a character immediately sparks the inspiration of, ooh, I know exactly what to do with that one. And that is, that is just so fantastic. And I gotta say, it must be nice also to have a physical copy of the finished deck that you can flip through. I am through. so excited about that. But yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's been more than two years of putting out 10 characters every month. So there's 12 months mm. in a year, <laughs> make it mm. two years and a half. Plus, you know, occasionally maybe I do a public poll or maybe like for Halloween, I will do a, a special one. And like there is, so there is more, more than 200 characters to choose from. So even the deck is like a condensed edition oh, because there is less than I have in the Art Venturing Guild. But then there's also like new ones created f specifically for the deck for the Arcane Compendium. And but yeah, and, and I wanted it to be something that allowed creative freedom and like the most complete of ways, because I want, you know, if if you're the DM and you like it or GM or whatever game you're playing and you see the card and you like the portrait and that character for you is something completely different from what's behind it. I want mm -hmm. you to do the version of the character that that speaks to you, you know, if, if that character is not what I assigned it to be at oh, the back sure. of the card, you should take that and play that as you want. If you like some of the details, you know, you can use those details. If you want to change their name, change their name. It, I don't, uh, I absolutely want people to be able to just enjoy and create and be inspired. And that is why also one of the things that I that I wrote as well when I was coming up with the campaign and I wrote on the campaign page was that I want people to use this deck in whatever way suits their mm -hmm. their needs and their curiosity and their fun. So like if you, uh, you know, it could be something that you can use randomly. So like, oh, let's see who you encounter today. Like, let's see who you bump into at the market. And like people can mm -hmm. either choose uh, randomly or maybe they can choose, I, I show you three faces and you tell me who's the one that you would stop in the crowd and interact with. Uh, oh, so good. that it's just kind of like a fun, you know, it, it encourages improv in the best way but also like gives the person who's organizing and, and like creating the story like a little bit of a uh, safety net to fall on because you have those uh, few uh, information blocks that are just good enough to help you structure the character without telling you where exactly this character is headed and everything about them and it also it's great fun because people can just like 
you can select random characters to play for a one shot like ooh, uh, mm -hmm. let's have a, a fun crazy heist who are you going to play i don't know let's grab a random character and it's just like it really pushes people to have fun and experiment maybe try something that they haven't done a lot throughout maybe a two-year campaign and they've been kind of mm -hmm. like very stable in their long-term character and now it's kind of like let's shake things up but let's do something different and yeah i think it's just it's it's the kind of stuff that i that i really enjoy uh and i think that it's it's the kind of things that the community thrives on when it's just like i am giving you the tools to do whatever you want and whatever makes you happy that's wonderful thank you for the work that you've done thank you for the characters that you've created for the art venturing guild and for your arcane compendium because the more beautiful tools you can put at the fingertips of creative players creative gms and dms who want to flesh out their cast of npcs for an upcoming adventure or even just a one-off game it just multiplies creativity on top of creativity and that's 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 wonderful to see i did want to ask you as someone that has actually worked on the doctor who comic for titan do you have a favorite alien or monster from Doctor Who? Was there a particular character you really enjoyed coloring on that comic? What was it like for you? I was great. It was fun. Uh, I I was not initially, of course, Doctor Who is not as famous as it was like as it is definitely here mm -hmm. in the UK where I live now. But like uh, I had many friends in uh, at uni who were big Doctor Who fans and so I basically got to know a lot of things about Doctor Who through them and then when this opportunity came up I was like well I guess I have to <laughs> start watching a few things <laughs> and especially because the, That's incredible. First, the first things that I did was a we did some very short stories on 10th and 11th and 12th Doctor uh, so mm -hmm. I had to make sure that I was familiar with the subject because I liked you know, I want to make sure that if there's like a specific palette, if there is specific vibe, I wanted to be aware of that when coloring, especially because some of these uh, short stories took place in specific episodes. So like, oh, mm. on the spaceship, this is the color scheme that was on the, around the spaceship or like, oh, you know, the jacket, the things, the the pinstripe, like the details and stuff. The color of the shirt. Yeah, you know, even and I, I'm very particular with that I really like the details and I think that that really brings out the character in a in a way that it's not obvious but really if you add up all those little things it it comes together uh, so that's when like I got to see all the the huge universe that is behind all of this and like the huge uh, mm. love and attention and, and care I think that probably oof, that's so difficult I think the weeping angels are always like a, a favorite uh, not just a fan favorite, but it's kind of like, oh, that was uh, something that like stays with you. <laughs> mm, oh my, yes. We get to use the Weeping Angels uh, in an upcoming mod called Gallery of Fear. They are such an iconic villain who have faced their own challenges with bad guy decay. The more they get used, the less mystery there is behind them, etc. But for that first, for that first experience, when you turn the corner, it's like, oh, it's just a statue <laughs> of a woman holding her face in her hands. And the gasp 
from the players like <gasps> is just oh it's so good it's candy yeah it's, it's so delightful <laughs> that's wonderful Aaron, it has been such an absolute treat talking with you today. Can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. It's pretty easy. I, you can find me on the internets as at Erin Angelini. So mm -hmm. I'm on a Twitter, X, whatever, as long as it stays up. I'll the be there until the, the ship sinks completely, but hopefully not. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Blue Sky if you are already on that other ship. <laughs> and, and We are, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yes, wonderful. But yeah, so at Adam Angelini on all of those. And then you can find me on adenangelini.com. Again, very easy. It's always the same name. It's always the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I also have a newsletter, which you can find on my on my socials. But there's it's linked in all my link bios and things. But it's also on my website. There is a nice little page for it. You can subscribe. You get when you subscribe, you get a free NPC to use in your games. And Ooh, I send you wonderful. some monthly updates on like what conventions I'm going to be at, what new projects I'm working on what new NPC package has released, released this month and like if I have any new exciting projects um, coming up. So that's also a very good way to keep in contact uh, and not being slave of the, of the algorithms. <laughs> Curse those algorithms. No, that's fantastic news. And um, rest assured, our, re our listeners will be able to find their way to you via the doobly-doo. <laughs> yes, wonderful. <laughs> And I'm always very happy. Oh, sorry. I just want to say I'm very happy to let people have any questions, reach out, DM me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm happy to talk to folks about uh, working in the industry or like where to find my work or like how to support folks and stuff like that. Uh, so everyone can feel free to reach out. Marvelous. Aaron, it's been such a treat talking with you today. Uh, it's been wonderful to talk to you as well. Uh, this, it's always, I love these this chats like this because it's just it's just great fun and it kind of like sparks that uh that flame which is like oh yes i want to do more things now magnificent and finally to our listeners another great big thank you for sharing your precious time with us if you feel it's been well spent please share the joy of gming with your friends who are looking to enjoy themselves you can email your questions for me and our future guests and send that lovely fan art to anywhere but now podcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like me to run a game of Doctor Who for you, reach out on startplaying.games. Leave a review, rate the show, and follow us on Blue Sky, Twitter, and YouTube at anywhere but now and wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Discord. Links to everything in the doobly doo. From all of us, I'm Casey Jones. There's exciting things to come, my friends. I'm glad you're along for the ride. Thank you so much and have a great day.